Y'all to learn from it though. I'm gonna lay out some steps for you to make that leap, make that jump. Ever felt like you were stuck in one place? Cause something was putting everything in your way. You want bigger things and even bigger dreams. But some things ain't as easy as it seems. Nah, I spent a long time chasing other people's dreams. I put my goals aside. I said it's for the team. I went around the world and met a bunch of girls. And some things I wouldn't change for the world. But I'd be lying if I said I was really happy. A lot of ups and downs. Some kind of sappy. I did a lot of shit, but it wasn't cause of me. Felt like a fraud, but Olivia supported me. To be real, I was scared to be out there No confidence in the failure I couldn't bear I couldn't measure to the talent that I was around So I had to turn the volume down on my own voice That was my choice Looking like a man, still feeling like a boy Knowing every day I would kill it if I did it But risking my ego, I couldn't live with it But I ain't getting any younger though I'm only 26 Gotta stop playing, start building for some shit And before there ain't no time left I'ma follow these eight steps My name is Brandon Bigglestone. I'm 43 and I am from Oakland, but I was born in San Francisco. Uh, we were there for a hot second and then moved to Oakland. Is your family from the Bay Area? Uh, my dad is from, his family is from Arizona. Mm-hmm. And I still have family in the Tucson area. But they moved out here when he was. Uh, a kid or mm-hmm. a teenager and my mom is from the Bay Area but also uh, spent some of her childhood in Colorado okay and but are you born and raised Oakland like did you ever live anywhere else I lived in Daly City mm-hmm. those are the only two cities I've ever lived in and Daly City was from the fifth grade through the end of high school okay what was what was it like growing up in this area for you? Uh, like, was Oakland a lot different from Daly City? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was definitely a difference. Uh, when I moved to Daly City, it was, it was definitely a culture shock. Daly City is more of the suburbs, and also I got a lot of questions about Oakland. I mean, there was definitely an idea about Oakland in Daly City that it was full of black people and they were all criminals Mm -hmm. and aren't you afraid to go there and aren't there a lot of black people there and and they couldn't believe that I like went there on the weekends on purpose and that I wanted to Mm -hmm. and uh, you know I'd say well you know there, there are a lot of Filipino people here so what's the big deal yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, it's just the weird kid from Oakland and didn't really fit in. Mm-hmm. Just kind of a theme for my life. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a lot of that going around. Yeah. <laughs> um, so why were you going back to Oakland on the weekends? You just my mom friends? still lived in Oakland. So okay. my parents got a divorce and my dad remarried, moved out to daily city with my stepmom and so my brother and I moved in with them 
the school systems were uh, better than what they were in Oakland. Mm -hmm. Oakland does not have a great reputation for having a stellar uh, school system. Mm -hmm. Although the elementary school I went to had a lot of cool stuff. It was Peralta on Alcatraz Avenue and it was year round. And, oh, that's weird. Yeah, and we had like a, a garden and <laughs> where, where they like grew vegetables and shit. Yeah. And we'd go on field trips to things like uh, museums. You know, I remember us all taking Bart to the mission to go to a, a gallery. Jeez. And I remember we all got to go see, um, uh, oh crap, I'm drawing blank on his name. Um, the singer, he's blind. Stevie Wonder. <laughs> yes! I can't believe I forgot that. I mean, I can, because, you know, concussions. But um, <laughs> we got to go see him perform on Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. That is insane. Yeah, it was, it was nuts. It was back, like, you know, the 70s and early 80s, and uh, people still went on field trips back then. <laughs> and, you know, I mean... At my school in Oakland, we learned about Martin Luther King Jr. and about the Civil Rights Movement, and we went on field trips like that, and mm -hmm. it was awesome, and it's one of those things, you, when you grow up with it, you just kind of take it for granted. Yeah. And uh, so while people had an image about what Oakland was like, I definitely had an image about what like the South was like. Mm -hmm. And um, so, I don't know. That's I, funny, because uh, like where I come from, I think Otis Redding is from the next town over, and that's about as big as we get. Uh -huh. <laughs> but like coming to Oakland, you're basically surrounded by black history on all sides. Yeah. I and mean, like as an outsider, I can really feel it, even though I've been here for almost 10 years now. Yeah. Uh, what kind of kid were you? Like, how would you describe yourself? Uh, I was very much in my own head. Uh, I, I daydreamed a lot. Um, I, I was not a reader, so I was, the, I was the weirdo in the family. Like, I come mm -hmm. from a family of readers. It seemed like all of my parents' friends were either writers or artists and um you know a, a lot of science fiction and fantasy authors and so reading was like a huge part of everything around me mm -hmm. and our house was full of books and you know friends would come over and the first thing they'd say is wow you guys have so many books except i didn't read any of them <laughs> because it took me a long time to learn how to read mm -hmm. and even when I did learn how to read, I've always been kind of a slow reader. And um, so it, it was all just going on in my own head. And um, I don't even know how to describe it. Just, you know, trying to entertain myself with making up shit in my own head. Mm -hmm. Are you still uh, not super into reading? I'm not. Mm -hmm. I, I still have trouble sitting down and, and reading a book. Um, you know, I have 
when I can stay focused on it, I have high reading comprehension, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the staying focused on it thing that's a problem. Yeah. And, um, but now I listen to audiobooks. Like, I finally discovered audiobooks, and I love it. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, whoa, I can finally read Dune. Like, that was the first <laughs> thing I got. <laughs> I was so right excited. <laughs> yeah, because everyone talked about what a long book it was, and I was like, yeah. I'll never read that. It's a long book. <laughs> and then I got the audiobook. It's a whole new world open to me. Yeah. It's pretty great. I tried to reread Dune earlier this year. I haven't read it since middle school. Uh-huh. Um, and I kind of forgot it. Not just how long it was, but how detailed it was. Yeah. <laughs> I think I got as far as when, uh, like, the Atreides family gets kicked out of all their castles and, like, there's all the bombing going on, uh-huh. and then the Harkonnens take over. Then they're explaining how everything with the Freeman worked, uh-huh. and I just, like, zoned out and didn't get back to it. <laughs> so you're not, like, a policy wonk? No, not at all. <laughs> if you can't summarize it in a tweet, it is too much for me. <laughs> Oh, you kids these days. Yeah. But so what did, What else would you do to entertain yourself? Uh, well, I also, I, I read comic books, whatever's lying around the house. Um, comic books I could read. Mm-hmm. Um, I also love TV. I love TV. Mm-hmm. I would have stayed up all night watching TV if I could. Uh, and probably a lot of stuff that like most people would wonder why a child my age was being allowed to watch. <laughs> Like, I remember watching, uh, you know, the Saturday Night Live. Yeah. I don't, I, I'm guessing I had to stay up late and watch it. I don't think they were showing it at three in the afternoon. Um, but I loved Saturday Night Live with, you know, the good Jane Newman yeah. and Belushi and, and all of them. And, uh, of course, there was Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Love Star Trek. Uh, but, yeah, Andy Griffith, Petticoat Junction. Um, Transformers, Robotech, whatever. I I wanted to watch it. Robotech was our jam. Like, that was the great unifying uh, common denominator denominator (laughs) in elementary school. Because when I didn't have any friends and everyone hated me because I was the weird kid from Oakland, we could still talk about Robotech. (laughs) You know, we'd all gather at the bus stop in the morning and talk about what had happened on Robotech the day before. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, when I was a kid, I heard a lot about Robotech because my grandparents were stationed in Japan uh, like until two years before I was born. So oh, my wow. uncle was up on a lot of stuff mm-hmm. like that was still pretty obscure. And he was like, oh, Robotech's great, blah, blah, blah. I could never see it because they didn't do reruns when I was a kid. Ah. But it eventually came out on Toonami in like 97 or 98 or whenever that started. And I was like, oh, I get it now. Yeah. Like, robots and jet planes, these are my favorite yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, all it needed was dinosaurs. The American version, of course I've never heard, watched it in Japanese, but the American version, it's not actually very good storytelling. No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> but man, when you're like 9 or 10, yeah, people actually died. That was like earth-shattering. Mm-hmm. A cartoon where people died and there were consequences. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, what did you want to be when you grew up? Do you remember? Uh, I remember the first thing I declared that I wanted to be when I was a kid. I said I wanted to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. And then one of my classmates said, Ew, that's gross. Then you'll have to deliver babies. 
And I was like, you know, he's kind of got a point. Yeah. Babies are gross. <laughs> that whole birthing thing is not for me. But also it was like, oh, now I'm going to get made fun of for wanting to be a doctor. Yeah. And um, so I was like, I guess I better abandon that. Um, there was one point when, like, we did all our shopping at Goodwill. Mm-hmm. And I found a pair of cleats there that fit me. And some Adidas cleats. And I got them. I wore them. And I decided I wanted to be a soccer star. Except nobody would play soccer <laughs> with me. So it was just me kicking a ball against the wall. So I abandoned that dream. Um, I don't know. I like. I really liked to draw. I wanted to be an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you still draw? No. Oh. No, once in a while I'll sketch something, but... Man, my whole childhood and, and up until college, uh, I was just drawing all the time. All mm. my notebooks had, um, you know, doodles in them. And yeah, I, I thought I'd do something with that. Yeah. Um, and then I wanted to be a teacher until I realized I didn't like kids that much. <laughs> it's kind of like the doctor thing. Like yeah. Babies turn into kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't want to spend the rest of my life with 30 to 40 children every day <laughs> like that no it's not gonna work yeah uh you got into is punk music the right term punk culture yeah uh how did you get into that I went to my first concert when I was 15 it was um the sugar cubes and new York, new order and pil with my best friend from high school and she met a guy at that show who um, got her phone number and, and asked her out. And she's like, dude, you have to go with me. Yeah. And so I was basically there as like the best friend chaperone. <laughs> and it, it turned out, his name's Paul. I still know him. And um, Paul Curran. And he took us to our first punk show, which was... Green Day and Monsula in Benicia. And um, it was a very weird experience. Neither of us had been to a punk show. We went, we were just driving around in his pinto that people had written all over when he was on tour. <laughs> and um, he played his band for the band he'd just gone on tour with, uh, Crimp Shrine. And it was completely different than anything we were listening to completely different from Depeche Mode and New Order or whatever and we're like what we kind of gave each other this look like what did we get ourselves into Mm -hmm. and he took us to uh, Gilman Street for the first time and again it was very weird there was a a woman there with a baby and no ear protection and I got really mad and I was like I don't want to be here this place is stupid (laughs) that lady's stupid and um Yet, I somehow ended up spending the next five years of my life in that place, like, every weekend. And um, went on to be involved in running it. And, uh, yeah, turns out I do like punk music. (laughs) So what was it about punk that kind of, and actually probably Gilman Street, too, that, like, captured your mind, that, like, kept you going? Uh, Well, there was, I really liked the the political aspect of it, Mm -hmm. that... um, you know, the, it's it's the the great irony that this movement of white kids was so 
anti-racist and so anti-sexism and and um yet it's still you know for the most part it was a very white movement yeah and um of course there was still sexism i i was stalked mm-hmm. and um you know some but in general you know i mean it was a bunch of kids like trying to make the world better mm-hmm. unless they were getting really drunk and just passing out somewhere but overall you know they yeah. had the intention to like <laughs> make the world better and confront injustice where it was and you know we end up at protests and um you know wear wear t-shirts with like you know clever slogans or whatever on them (laughs) (laughs) and uh also it was a bunch of kids who were encouraged to be creative and to speak their you know like however they could have a voice yeah in music, in making zines, and just sitting around and shooting the shit, and um, yeah, I like that. Were you like active in politics before punk? Like as far as protesting or even just not really. There wasn't much of that in Daly City. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and yeah i don't know there there wasn't really any of that happening in daily city mm-hmm. but that you, i'm aware of once you got into it through punk did you keep it up even after you were like less active in the scene um not as much as i'd like to mm-hmm. it's you know it's it's exhausting and demoralizing yeah and um it's really easy for the rest of life to get in the way Mm -hmm. and kind of take over uh i went to a talk recently at a place that um has like organizational meetings for for protest movements and and as soon as the talk was over they were going to be having their planning meeting and i didn't stay for the meeting but just the lead up to it and the mix of people and the you know the different topics i heard peripherally people bringing up um it's kind of hard to describe but part of it is that I I guess I just I don't work as well with people at mm-hmm. coming to consensus about what the best approach is. Like it's really challenging to do to not only agree on how your movement is going to be focused and what you're going to focus it on, but then how to channel those energies and what's the most effective way and what's the most inclusive and appropriate way and um, I'm kind of, I, I sometimes wonder if I'm too much of a pragmatist to make that work. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it does. Like, yeah. almost like you're particular about how you want to do things. Yeah, I, I am. Um, and I think that it's really tough with what I was seeing happening is that everything becomes so disjointed. So you go to a protest for the Gulf War mm-hmm. and then you've got people talking about every example of injustice in the oh, entire yeah. world and there's no focus mm-hmm. and 
those other examples of injustice are also important. But when you start, when you don't have a focus to what you're trying to achieve, it's a lot easier for people to discount you and yeah. to write you off. You're like, well, that crackpot is now talking about Nicaragua. What does that have to do with the Gulf War? Yeah. And it's, it's easier for them to, you know, move on. And, um, and while a lot of those things are interconnected, the way that the U.S. government reacts with the world and, and has chosen to behave one way here but behaves a totally different way over here and interferes with this political process over there but then lets that be a free-for-all over there you know that is there is an intersection of all that stuff Mm -hmm. so i don't want to shut it down but at the same time you know it's just it's tough like you got to focus to get one thing done and then i guess everything in its own time yeah, might be a good way to put it. Yeah, I heard somebody on the radio recently talking about that, you know, because this new report came out that like two thirds of the species in the world will be extinct in like twenty years or whatever. And yeah, and this one guy was saying it's not helpful to put it in those terms mm-hmm. because it's too amorphous, it's too big, and you have to boil it down to how is this going to affect you throughout your daily existence mm. what what impact is that going to have on this one person and um so yeah i don't know that's kind of like uh, with every i feel like every few months someone is like oh all the bees are dying you know yeah well they are yeah. <laughs> and that's really really important <laughs> but you so rarely hear like and this is what it means yeah for you like here's yeah. the place of bees in the ecosystem yeah. or whatever whatever yeah you can say that you know uh, it'll have an impact on um, uh, plant reproduction or whatever. But um, what is probably more helpful is to say your grocery bill is going to go up 20% because of this. You <laughs> yeah. know, because then it becomes more real. And you're like, whoa, I don't want my grocery bill to go up 20%. <laughs> then you meet people where they live instead of just kind of having a message. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, that's... That was another thing that they were talking about in this thing. It was on NPR, and they were talking about how a lot of the environmental movement has been white people mm-hmm. not engaging uh, neighborhoods where, where people of color are, or, or talking to people who aren't, you know. People have different um, immediate needs yeah. than saving a whale in Antarctica. You know, it's like, I, that's cool, I, I, want, I don't want the whales to die, but at the same time, I'm dealing with lead poisoning in the school over here, or, mm-hmm. or you don't even know you're dealing with lead poisoning because the, <laughs> the city government won't acknowledge it, or, you know. Yeah. yeah. That reminds me of the, I think it was Gil Scott here in the Whitey's on the Moon, that poem. I don't know that one. Uh, he's basically listing all these things that are like wrong in his community, and he ends with, and Whitey is on the moon. Yeah. Kind of talking about how like the space race is cool, but we also have yeah. like trouble over here. Yeah. I totally want to go to the moon, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to fix the problems on the Earth yeah. and go to the moon. <laughs> but so is it 824 Gilman? 924. 924 Gilman. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I always get that mixed up. 
so it's like a seminal punk club scene hangout spot. Yeah. What was it like uh, when you were getting into it? Um, it's it, it was a bunch of well, it's a bunch of kids. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like some are more involved than others. Some it's just a place to go see some bands and then leave, and other people it's really does feel like a home away from home Mm -hmm. maybe even a safer home than the one where you come from um it's a place where you know a lot of kids they'll change clothes when they get there it's like when you know the the kid has to leave the house in the straight lace clothes and they change into something else when they get there they change into what is them you Mm -hmm. know um I also met a lot of people who do a lot of drugs and drink, <laughs> but I, I imagine kids encounter that anyway. Anyway, yeah. Um, and not not everyone I knew drank or did drugs. I mean, I knew straight edge people. I my best friend was straight edge. You know, I mean, it um it was started by a guy. I mean, it was started by a, a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just one guy who built this place. But uh, Tim Yohannan uh, was kind of the, the driving force behind it. And he started a lot of different punk rock institutions in the Bay Area. Um, and um, then kind of stepped back. And, it, you know, it's been handed off from... <laughs> generation to generation and uh you know what i think this is the 25th anniversary coming up oh wow um is that right oh my god how old am i maybe it's no it's got to be like the 30th okay uh because i started going in 1989 and i think it was started in 87 86 or 87 um yeah so it must be 30th was it about the music or the community that kind of kept people going? Like, were they booking, like, really high-level or popular or whatever acts? Or uh, There have just... been some really amazing shows that have gone through that place. There have been some really shitty shows, too. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, so I think it's both. Both? Yeah. Okay. Uh, how did you end up running? Were you running or part of the board? or? Uh, I... I don't really understand how that happened. Yeah. Like, I went for, for years and never never volunteered to do anything. Mm-hmm. Because um, it is volunteer run. Like, if you show up early and you sign up to work a shift on the door, you can get into the show for free. Oh, cool. Um, that sort of thing. And I got tired of show flyers that were unreadable. <laughs> like they were just you know look at us we're so punk rock we're so punk rock you can't even read what this flyer says yeah. and it drove me nuts and so I just took over making flyers mm-hmm. and um, so I, th- I think we called me flyer coordinator <laughs> and um, then I helped run a show one night I was like a s- the guy who was running the show who was running the club then asked me to be his uh, assistant coordinator for the night and that was the night some like nazis showed up okay and we didn't allow them in the clubs 
So we had to tell them to leave and like Mike was like, here's the cash box, go lock yourself in the side room. And I'm like in there by myself with the cash box wondering what the fuck's gonna happen out there. Yeah. It turned out fine. But um, <laughs> that was my introduction to running shows. And, and then like two months later, he announced that he was stepping down and uh, people, including Tim Yohannan, who started the club, encouraged me to take over. That's cool. It's like just being around and being competent goes a long way. Yeah, yeah, and being 20 years old and not knowing how to say no, maybe. Because yeah. <laughs> I was 20, I didn't yeah. know what I was doing. I mean, the place didn't burn down, and yeah, and uh, it stayed in the black while I was there, so I guess we did something right, but, you know, I've, I've had some people tell me that um, that era, it was this... This almost made me cry once. This guy I know said that that was his favorite era of the club. Wow. And, um, yeah, that was really cool to hear. Of course, 43-year-old me looks back and I'm like, oh, I should have done that differently. Or, no, I really <laughs> fucked that thing up. And, yeah. Is there anything from that time where you look back and you're like, this was really cool? Like something you came up with or something like that? Or is it all just like I think it's pretty cool now. that people could read the, the flyers. <laughs> a little bit goes a long way. Yeah, people also said, they're like, wow, the shows actually start on time with you. Because <laughs> I didn't want to still be there at 3 or 4 in the morning wrapping things up. So I was yeah. like, let's get going. Come on, guys. we got to start. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I added that to it. Yeah. It was impatient and pushy. When did you... Uh, or you could say timely and focused. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. When did you give up the reins to the club? Uh, only about a year later. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I think I, I lasted about a year, maybe a little bit more. Uh, it's really easy to get burnt out. It seems like a really big job, too. It was a big job. I was in college. Mm -hmm. um, some stuff happened while I was there that just became headaches to deal with yeah uh which seemed i feel like an asshole describing it as a headache because somebody got beaten up pretty badly mm -hmm. so it was much more of a headache for him i mean i think he had to have surgery and everything but um it was a uh, jello biafra who's uh a high profile person mm -hmm. and so like it was on mtv news and oh wow it just yeah, I wrote the press release that was read on MTV News. That was really crazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, things like that happened. <laughs> and it's just a little more involved to deal with than your standard show. Yeah. And I mean, it sounds... You say it's volunteer run, but it sounds like a full-time job, basically. Yeah, I don't know if it's full-time because I, I wasn't doing it all myself. I yeah. had uh, an assistant coordinator and um, who for the most part was very reliable except for that one particular night when he was supposed to be working and he mm -hmm. was down the street making out with a girl instead <laughs> um <laughs> but uh you know and 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 there are you know people who showed up every week to help us sound and to run the store and mm -hmm. and um we had security probably not enough obviously <laughs> in some cases but you know we had security and um but yeah it was a lot of work and I was also trying to do things like uh, there were membership meetings twice a month and people would handwrite minutes and 
you know, this was 1994. Mm-hmm. There was no internet archive. <laughs> there was no, there was none of that. Nothing was typed up. Yeah. And I was trying to type up all the minutes so that we'd have some sort of record. And I was trying to keep records of all our flyers, you know, from, I thought it would be a nice history to keep together. And, um, so I was trying to clean up those records in between being a full-time student and, and all that. And again, I didn't do as well with that as I would have liked to have, but hopefully it got the ball rolling for somebody else. Is that stuff still around the records? Um, I'm, uh, some of it, yeah, I'm not sure how much. I know, uh, there's a documentary being worked on right now, and, um, I still had some stuff at my house, like, from flyers that I had made myself, and, mm-hmm. and I, um, let them scan them all and stuff, and, and I, I'm pretty sure they got a lot from the club, too. Cool. Yeah. What were you going to school for? I was going to be a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Just before you realize that, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I um, I was because I didn't really, I don't like having to pick one subject. Mm-hmm. I was a social science major because then you can study all the social sciences, mm-hmm. and I liked that. And then I was going to join the credentials program, but instead I realized I didn't like kids that much, and that I was completely burnt out on school, mm-hmm. and I actually never even graduated. Yeah, me either. Yeah. So. <laughs> I really wish I had. <laughs> like, yes, me too. <laughs> yeah, I just had 10 pages left on my senior thesis, and that was it. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, I think I got an associates and then floated for like two or three years. I didn't even do that. <laughs> <laughs> but so you co-own a family business? Yeah. Yeah. Is that the right word for it? Yeah. Yeah, I'm the silent partner. Silent partner. That sounds so uh, like in a crime movie. <laughs> I'm the conciliary. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm the one who I advise in the background. And um, like I joke that at, at store staff meetings, I'll, I'll lean over and whisper something in my brother's ear <laughs> while he's running the meeting and, and look menacingly at the employees. But not really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so it's... Uh, is Games of Berkeley the business name? Yeah. Is there... Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, our parents finally retired for the second time. Mm-hmm. And I think for reals this time. <laughs> and um, so my brother and I had never really had a lot of interest in taking over the family business. Mm-hmm. Like there were other things we wanted to do. And I, at that point, already had like an established career at Image Comics and um but my brother was you know he was kind of in between things and and they were talking about wanting to move towards retirement and he was like you know what i think i would like to do that (laughs) and it fit a lot in with because he had worked at conventions for a long time like science fiction fantasy conventions Mm -hmm. on staff and like just for fun like a crazy person like planning the conventions or, yeah okay yeah wow. and again non nonprofit work we're both like, yeah <laughs> let me take on a full-time job on top of my other full-time job yeah that i don't get paid for um because it's fun and uh really stressful and i i live off stress so makes sense <laughs> yeah keeps you busy yeah 
So he was, he was doing that stuff. And um, so taking over the gaming store is kind of, it, it's the same realm. It's a very similar realm. It's not the same thing, but it's, it's similar. Like the skill set can be like transferred really easily. The skill set, the um, the contacts, mm-hmm. the uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was it that got you involved? Uh, well, part of it was like I started thinking. Also, I was like, you know, having some involvement in the family business would be nice. Yeah. And uh, honestly. Um, it, it was helpful for my brother to have me buy in on the shares too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, d- I don't have anything to do with the day to day running of the store, but we do talk and I do, you know, advise and, um, I have some ideas mm-hmm. and I'm not as involved as I'd like to be, but, we knew from the beginning that I wouldn't be, mm-hmm. you know, I, I said from day one, I was like, I, I like my current job. I want to keep doing it. Um, so it, it, it was set up from the beginning that, that my brother would be managing partner. Mm-hmm. And what kind of things like do you, what kind of ideas do you have for the store? Like, what do you want to do? Um, I don't know. It's more like questions about, what should we do with this personnel issue or, mm-hmm. um, you know, things like that. I'm, I'm more of a behind the scenes, mm-hmm. like I'm the puppeteer. No. <laughs> <laughs> the wizard of Oz. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not really a front of house person. I'm the behind the scenes person. Yeah. Um, so that's the sort of thing. Okay. I'm better at it. Was it founded by your parents? No, actually. It was founded by this guy, Don Rents, who uh, also had a wholesale business called Berkeley Game Distributors. Mm-hmm. And my mom worked there. And my stepdad worked at Games of Berkeley. Mm-hmm. And they met and started dating and ended up buying Berkeley Game Distributors from Don and ran it for a while. And that was, their timing was really good because Magic the Gathering came along. Oh, and yeah. yeah. For a while they were the biggest distributor, I think, uh, the side of the Mississippi River. <laughs> um, so yeah, they, they, they were kind of a big deal in mm-hmm. the, the gaming industry. And then they retired. Mm-hmm. And uh, my stepdad got bored and wanted, and he heard that Games of Berkeley was kind of a shadow of its former glory. You know, Games of Berkeley's been around, you know, decades and, and been the staple in Berkeley. And he decided to buy it and help restore it to its former glory. And. Mm-hmm. And he did that, and I think he succeeded. And then, like, okay, let's retire again. We did that. <laughs> it's like such a uh, Batman move. <laughs> like a Dark Knight Returns, but for uh, board games. <laughs> I always 
joke with him that he's a nighttime vigilante because he he likes swords and stuff. And yeah. I'm like, and he's just like this super chill guy who just sits around and reads books all day long. <laughs> but he's like, he's like, swords are cool. And I'm like, you're a nighttime vigilante. You put that armor on. He goes out on patrol. Yeah. Secret car. Yeah. 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 Man yeah. alive. But so, so yeah, you're right. He is Batman. Yeah, literally in the flesh. <laughs> um, so what's your? How do you see Oakland now that you're grown? Oh boy. Um, well, it's very different. Mm-hmm. Um, God, it's so different. You know, just like downtown or what they call uptown we used to call downtown um and it was you didn't want to go there nobody wanted to go there mm-hmm. people who lived there probably didn't want to be there it was horrible like you went down there if you had to go to sears or something mm-hmm. and then sears pulled out and moved and it got even more economically depressed because the big magnet store went away and um yeah my mom still like to this day, I think she harbors a resentment against Sears for that. Wow. Yeah. Even after <laughs> Sears came back <laughs> and then left again. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, just the economics of the city are so completely different now. And there are still neighborhoods that need help. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't. And I see it like in it's the weird dichotomy of gentrification where a neighborhood gets nicer and crime rates go down and there's all this delicious food and I have gluten free options and whatever. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's it seems like the poverty is magnified even more. Um like it's being concentrated in certain areas while other areas come up? I think so. And also, like, families that used to be able to get by mm-hmm. on, you know, being a store clerk, you can't do that now. You yeah. just can't. And the concentration of wealth and the housing prices the housing prices were insane i think the median just hit three thousand for a two-bedroom god that's fucking nuts yeah like people lived in oakland before because they couldn't afford to live in san francisco and that's still kind of yeah. true <laughs> but nobody wanted to live in oakland then yeah you know all my friends who lived in san francisco they wouldn't even come visit mm-hmm. and um I don't know. It's it's very frustrating. It's it's heartbreaking. I I still live here and unless something horrible happens, I will be able to continue living here mm-hmm. for the foreseeable future. Um but I don't know. It's it's changed a lot. Some ways for the better. Um like Merritt doesn't smell as bad now. <laughs> um, it just smells like geese now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of the changes are are, are good. They're, it's not a bad thing mm-hmm. for crime rates to go down. But is that just in some neighborhoods? 
mm-hmm. you know? If it's just in some neighborhoods, that's not okay. Yeah. Um, everyone deserves to be lifted up. So. Yeah, I've. Uh, when did I move here? 2012 or 2011? I moved over from San Francisco, uh-huh. and I've even seen like a big change in like that short, like four or five year span. Yeah. Uh, I realized actually last night coming home from a party that there's an apartment building like down the road. Then I'm pretty sure uh, did like the. Ellis Act evictions thing because it was being remodeled for like two months and hmm. now they're like all new furnished apartments and Ugh. it's completely rented out again. Yeah. And I kind of want to like find a property manager and see what the rents are there just to see. Yeah. Because even in my building, like the prices have gotten insane. Yeah. But what's your favorite part of Oakland right now? Like what what, what really works for you as far as? I love where I live. Mm-hmm. I fucking love where I live so much. Like. Yeah. <laughs> I was at the farmer's market yesterday. There's a really good farmer's market near my house. I'm like, I have a farmer's market like two blocks from my house. And then I walked around the lake and it was such a beautiful day. And the lake is so beautiful and there's so much life around there. Mm-hmm. And I don't, you know, I mean, there's people doing capoeira and uh, sometimes there's even like circus folk doing tightrope <laughs> walking and stuff. And other times there's salsa dancers out there and like like a whole dance party going on yeah and um it's just it's a lot of life it's a lot of uh people doing their thing and doing things that they enjoy and doing them out where they can share them with other people Mm um yeah i like that yeah, that's something a lot different for me, too, because, uh, like, I went to my capoeira group did a Juneteenth, like, mm-hmm. exhibition slash party slash gathering at Lake Merritt mm-hmm. underneath one of, like, the gazebo castle-looking things. Oh, yeah. Uh, we were expecting, like, 20 people, but, like, 60 to 80 showed up, which was nice. kind of sweet. But also in that same area, there were these two older black ladies who were running, uh, like, a double Dutch competition. Nice. As part of also, like, a sign-up to vote. Like, put your name on this paper, so we'll email you to remind you to sign up to vote. Oh, and then you awesome. can double Dutch and, like, talk trash together for a while. <laughs> and it was so good, because there was, like, capoeira here, and then 20 feet away, like, jump ropes. And we yeah. were all just going, like, back and forth and trying to just yeah. have a good time. Yeah. So I think the lake is super underrated as far as, like, a thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's 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 awesome. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you. Yeah. What you thought of Oakland before you ever came here, like so, like I had my ideas of what the South was like. Yeah. Before ever going there, and um, you know, and I encountered people in Daly City, which is just on the other side of the bay from Oakland. It's not yeah. even that far. It like you could take Bart, and um, so what was the image? Oh, and, you know, Donald Trump talking about how we're all horrible murderers here. And so what was the image of Oakland that you had growing up? I think my my whole image of California in general was molded by rap music. Okay. So I knew Oakland was a place because of uh, I Got Five on it. The Looney song from the 90s. I don't know. It was, if you heard it, like you definitely, I think they played at Warriors games even still. Okay. But it was like a huge hit and it, a lot of Bay Area rap made it to the South for whatever reason. I think because mm-hmm. like the South and the West Coast weren't New York. Yeah. So it was like us against them. Yeah. <laughs> so like it just sounded like a cool place that just 
it was just like where black people lived. Like it was a city, uh, there was crime or whatever, but like there was a lot of camaraderie maybe, mm. but in like a really hazy, like fantasy sense. Like New York is, was super well formed because it's in movies, it's in books, it's yeah. in video games. But Oakland, I just kind of had like a vague idea. So like I assumed it was like LA, but like one part of LA. Like, okay. Sort of like how like, Compton is a place, but when you say LA, you might not necessarily think Compton. Yeah. Um, but then I moved out here, and it turns out it's sort of like a a big city version of the small town I grew up in. Oh. Because like where I'm from, there's woods everywhere, uh-huh. and it's it's a really green city. Uh, but it's also very busy. Like it feels very like fully formed. Okay. Even though it's probably, I think my hometown's about a hundred years old. I think Oakland's a little bit. Maybe 150, yeah, something like right. that. Uh, so I knew of it, but not enough to be able to have like a real opinion on it. Okay, if that makes sense. But now that I'm here, like I totally get it. Like it's probably I've lived here longer than I've lived anywhere in my entire life. Oh, like wow. a consecutive period of time. Yeah. So we moved around a lot as a kid. So yeah. I went to like three elementary schools, four middle schools, and three high schools. Damn. How many different countries? Uh, two countries, three states. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, see, I've never <laughs> lived anywhere but here. Yeah. Like, I've never had that perspective of not being a Bay Area person. Yeah. And so I know that my image of the world and my place <laughs> in it is very limited and probably a little warped. Yeah. <laughs> I got, uh, I was very, like, fortunate that I got to travel some, and I went to Japan in 2008 for work, which was another, like, really eye-opening thing. Yeah. But I'll tell you the most southern thing about Oakland, uh, other than all the old, friendly black people, Uh is people saying thank you to the bus driver, because, like, no one does that in San Francisco. Like, I'd never heard that my entire time while I was there. Yeah. But here, it's so common that just, like, it feels like everyone does it. Yeah. And it's hard to have a bad day. Like, when you're telling someone, like, you know, like, good morning and thank you when you get off the bus. That's something I noticed when I was in the South. I went to visit people in Richmond, Virginia. Yeah. And it was my first time in the South. And I was, like, 20 years old. And everybody said hello to each other. Yeah. On the street. Complete (laughs) strangers. You know, white, black. Everyone just said hello and had a smile. And and then you'd hear someone yell the N-word yeah. randomly, which was very disturbing. But, um, you know, I, I definitely noticed that. And, uh, you know, I, I watched our old co- co-workers, Sarah Mello, you know, yeah. her interact. She's from Missouri, and she's incredibly friendly with complete strangers and yeah and i'm like i want to be more like that you know i I had to er unlearn that a little bit when i first moved out here yeah because you're a fucking weirdo yeah (laughs) like i remember it was my first day um my first day catching the bus to work i when i where i lived in san francisco the end of the line on the the nearest bus route went right to my office's front door which is Uh great uh so i go to the bus stop and there's like a young lady sitting there and i say like good morning and she jumps and I'm like, oh, all right, I get that now. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, why are you talking to me? What do you want? Yeah. What do you want from me? I ain't got nothing for you. <laughs> Stop talking to me. Yeah, no, that's definitely a thing 
that we do more out yeah. here. But yeah, no, I, I always say thank you to the bus driver because being an AC transit driver, yeah. you've got to suck. <laughs> I was on a bus on a Friday night where someone had dumped a swisher all over the back, which happens a lot. Mm -hmm. But then they'd also spilled like a bottle of whiskey. <laughs> so the whole back of the bus just smelled like somebody's cookout. <laughs> it was rough. Uh, but then someone got on with like oh, bags of fried chicken, so they were like completely <laughs> smells. <laughs> and such sensory overload. Yeah, but I think the, like the southern thing actually helps me with work because at conventions, like people are so like closed off, and, like in in their own heads or whatever. Yeah. But I, like I just say like hello to whoever walks past, and like yeah. it works. Yeah. Like there's no fear of being rejected because you just talk to everybody anyway. Yeah, I try. I, I'm definitely trying to do more of that with my life yeah um it's you know you got to find that balance with uh being a woman and not seeming too inviting yeah. or too nice <laughs> you know because then people uh, get ideas yeah i definitely learned um to have a bitch face mm -hmm. to keep people from bugging me <laughs> it's like i'd rather look scary than risk an unpleasant interaction yeah and there's still a part of me that wants that but for the most part i would I'd just rather like help people have a better day yeah i'm a big goober now <laughs> <laughs> and balancing that is tough for me because like if i had my way i would live in a cabin on the mountain somewhere uh -huh. and see people like only on the weekends <laughs> yeah <laughs> so like having the friendly thing and then also like the extreme uh monk thing yeah getting that like uh balanced out is tough oh yeah no my favorite thing to do on a friday night is go home yeah <laughs> and not talk to any of you yeah. <laughs> kick it with my cats and watch tv yeah all right i've got one last question mm -hmm. uh what's something that makes you feel comfortable or that you're proud of you can do either one. Oh, um uh, uh, i'm proud that i have a life that uh i don't have to feel ashamed of that's pretty good it sounds probably sounds super intense <laughs> but you know considering how much i fucked up when i was younger it's it's pretty significant 